So, Dan, it's lovely to speak to you today. And uh, we're going to continue our series of We Are What We Eat today. But the first thing I want to say is happy birthday. Thank you very much, Alex. And I can't imagine a better way to spend it uh, turning 40 (laughs) than on the radio, especially Cambridge Radio 5, which I particularly love. Very close to my heart. So thank you. Oh, that's right. So you're doing anything special for your birthday? Yes. So um, this seems so extravagant. It's unbelievable. But um, this evening, Besma and I, my wife, we're having Wagyu steaks, you know, the Japanese steak. (gasps) Yeah um from Malloy's in town so oh, yes um, I've heard they're really good yeah I've not tried it as yet so I'll give you the feedback maybe on the next show but it's quite expensive for each one but I thought well you don't turn 40 every day so why not try it and um yeah and I got some tips from the butcher as well about how best to cook them so um I can't wait to try it I'm really excited Oh, that sounds brilliant. Oh, well, happy birthday again. And moving on to what we're going to talk about today, in our in We Are What We Eat series, we, we thought we'd talk about evolution and how that's affected what we eat today. Yeah, definitely. And it's something that I find really interesting because my degree is in archaeology and a lot of what I studied was, uh, well, it's kind of two parts, really the same thing. We used to look at tribal societies and sort of how tribal societies through time have adapted and and how it is they survived and, and what we can learn from those societies to then sort of project back into maybe human evolution. Now, you always be very careful of that for several reasons. Firstly, when it comes to these tribal societies, They live in very different types of cultures, climates and everywhere around the world. And equally, when you go back into human evolution, you're talking about millions of years. So, (laughs) you know, think about 1970 to 2020. That's things are different, let alone hundreds of thousands of years apart from each other. So you always be very, very careful doing this sort of thing. But but I find human evolution fascinating because in terms of nutrition and health, Every animal, I think I've said this on the show before, every animal on the planet is very much adapted to a certain diet. And I've always found it fascinating how as human beings, we don't really understand what we should be eating. You know, there's always these debates, there's always these discussions. And I just think, you know, going back in time might give us some clues as to what our past was and where we've come from and what we should be eating. And equally, look at other, you know, eight species, what do they eat? How do they evolve? We do have go back to common ancestors eventually. So that, I think it's fascinating. Yeah. And there's this kind of, I suppose, fallacy that somehow you can eat anything and still make healthy body tissue and cell repair and everything else. Well, clearly there must be something that we've eaten in the past, which is better for us than others. And in this day and age, with ultra processed and high sugary foods, Clearly, that's moving away from what our ancestors would have eaten because they are so ultra modern, let alone any of the information problems. That's really interesting because I'd never thought about how other animals know instinctively what they should eat and just eat it. And of course, with our evolution, if you like, we've gone the opposite way, haven't we? We've got so much choice or choice maybe in quotes. I don't know that we don't know from one to the other. We, that's really interesting. So where should we start on this? Right. So I've, I'm actually going to go on to a podcast very soon um, in the next week or two. And one of the presenters is living in Bangkok. So I just I thought it'd be interesting for that podcast. And I'll share it here as well. To try to think about time, because time is one of those things that most of us find very, very hard to get right in our heads. When you say to people, you know, if you go back at any time at all, they might say the Second World War. Well, that's incredibly shallow in terms of answers, because this is what I find incredible out the way that humans have evolved over time. If you try to think about the distance from Bangkok to Cambridge, <laughs> all the way from Bangkok, Thailand, all the way up to past Stansted Airport, we were living as hunter-gatherers. And then from pretty much the border of Essex to Cambridge, we changed to farming. 
So just in terms of time, that gives you some sense of scale of how continuous we've been as a species. And then it's only been in the very, very, very recent time that things have changed. And it's only those last 10,000 years we've had things like farming coming in. So when people talk about grains being good for your health, I sometimes question that. Now, I'm not saying I know for definite that they are bad for your health, and I know this is a good debate to be had. But in terms of a food source, they're incredibly recent to our diet. We might have had access to grasses and things in the past. They would have been around. But certainly the cultivation, the mass cultivation of those kinds of cereal crops is really, really recent. And then you think about, well, how has modern farming then influenced us in other ways as well? And of course, the sugar industry has come around, especially in the last 100 years after the First World War. That's when the sugar industry really boomed. And you think, well, sugar is so freely available, it wouldn't have been in the past. The other thing I think is really interesting, which goes alongside farming, is when you look at things like fruit, fruit was a very kind of, and I think we talked about the Russian bear before, didn't we? The, yes. the, the migration of the apple across Europe. And if you think about fruit in the past being a very fibrous, small thing to eat, which, of course, our ancestors would have had access to. I don't deny that at all. However, it's very different to these kind of sugar-laden, really over-ripened, um, I suppose, genetically, they've been selected over many, many um, generations to become the most bountiful they can be. Now, if you go back before that, what is it we were eating? And, and is there like maybe a food source which is better for us? Now, clearly, meat's going to be part of that. And I think it's been it's pretty much clear that we've been eating meat eaters for you know millions and millions of years. Now, you might be vegan. That might be your choice. You might be vegetarian. And of course, I would totally respect that. For me personally, though, I think that if it's been in our diet for millions of years, it's probably a healthy thing, more or less to have. Something like milk, on the other hand, is only 8000 years in our diet, which is really fascinating to me. Oh, I didn't know that either. Yeah, well, I could tell you the story if you like. So they've actually gone through the way that we know this stuff now is by going through gene research and look at the human genome. And what's fascinating is we it turns out 8,000 years ago in parts of Europe and also separately in parts of North Africa, people were actually eating, they think, firstly, milk products. So they were farming, they were looking after their cows, probably to be butchered at first or to do work in the field. And then somehow there's a point where we started eating these milk products. Now, what happens is in our body, we have an enzyme, which is lactase, which is there to break down lactose. And up until the age of five, we could all break down lactose quite easily because we have our mother's breast milk, evolutionary speaking. But after the age of five, there's a gene that switches, which generally means we can't digest the lactose. But we did something which is fascinating, where we used our actual cultural evolution. So our culture changed our genes by eating this kind of milk product, which eventually led us to then turn this this gene, which meant we could then drink milk as well. How but funny. if you notice, a lot of the world is still lactose intolerant after the age of five. It's only parts of Africa, parts of Europe that then kind of where it spread that we have this gene sort of change. Now, what's interesting there is there's three different terms. So evolution is happening all the time. As people die and new people are born, the genetic profile of humanity is changing all the time. Natural selection, on the other hand, is different. That's about survival of the fittest, the ones who are most adapted to survive in a certain environment because of what's happening to them. But then there's also this change, which is what humans have done, and it's the only species to have done this, where it's a bit different. It's a gene culture co-evolution, they call it, where our culture is actually affecting what we're eating. And starch is another one as well, where effectively, because of our culture and the farming, we are now more able to digest starch. But I would say this, just because we're more able to digest starch or lactose, does it mean it's the ideal diet for us? And that's not the same thing. So I think that's where the debate's to be had. 
What have we eaten for millions of years? What have we through culture managed to adapt to be able to eat as well to survive? Now, out of those two, which one do you think is the most suitable for you and your diet going forwards? And whatever side of the argument you come down on, I think we can all agree that the ultra-processed, sugar-rich foods and you know, and also refined grains, etc., are definitely not the best option. Just based on only from a time point of view, they are so recent to our eating. In the same way that a cat eating a vegetarian diet or a dog eating a processed diet would get sick, in the same way we do too. Oh wow, that's absolutely fascinating. Two questions on that. Um, one is that the same across the world? Because you know, different uh, cultures have brought up a sort of of evolved in different ways haven't they with grains or or meat or or fish or whatever and the other one is you know we're hearing a lot in the media that we should be eating less meat or less red meat because of our health whatever um people have found what are your uh, um thoughts on those yeah so the first point when it comes to different parts of the world we've been into we have evolved as one species the whole way back in Africa, and then it's through Homo habilis, Homo erectus, we then started moving around the world. From Homo erectus, you get different populations in different parts. So you get Java man, which is an example of Homo erectus in uh, in Asia. You get other examples of it in this, in this part of the world. And this is what I find fascinating. Human evolution is kind of being dis- discovered all the time. So we didn't know until only a few years ago that we are related to um, the Neanderthal, that there's actually inbreeding and that we have a certain percentage of Neanderthal DNA in our bodies. We thought we were completely separate species and never mixed. So what they're kind of learning is, and this is what I find fascinating, is that when it comes to it, for millions of years, that species has been pretty much one developing in Africa and then moving out. The actual change to grains, rice, milk, etc., that's incredibly recent. So yes. these are tiny little changes, little tweaks to evolution. It's not the whole picture. The whole picture really is the millions of years, not the last minute on the clock face. The whole time we were one species, well, we are one species, of course we are. But we have, of course, been in different parts of the world. And in terms of the whole meat argument... I think it's going to be interesting seeing that in the future. One of the main reasons that there's this argument against me is because of cholesterol. And they said, since Ansel Keys after the Second World War, um, there was this argument, of course, that cholesterol was bad for your heart health because they believe the cholesterol in your diet went straight to your arteries or whatever. Well, that's been proven to be wrong now. So in many ways... Oh, yeah. The reason it's been proved to be wrong, and I just just because I know we're short on time, I'll try to go through it in a very, very quick way if I can. <laughs> but basically, cholesterol is actually almost like the firefighter going to the fire scene to try and put out the fire. Uh, that's why you've got it in that part of the of the artery. It's because the inflammation has happened to the artery and the damage has happened in some way. And we can go into that another time if you wish. And the cholesterol is actually part of your body's way of then going and trying to sort out the problem. Uh, it's a bit like saying there's lots of fires. It must be the firefighters because every time you go to a fire, they're there. Right. So and it's so- been misread. In, without well, yeah, pop, and I pri- think without all the other kind of background knowledge, perhaps that they they haven't. Yeah, really, yeah, exactly. Oh. And I think the second thing is there's always been this physics argument about humanity, and it's completely wrong because you can say calories in, calories out. Well, to some extent, you can see how that makes sense: energy in, energy out. But we're not a machine; we're actually biology, and actually we're hormonal, and and it's the way the hormones respond that has a massive impact. So you know, if you eat a high, and I'm just going to say I've got at the moment a sensor on my arm a freestyle Libra, and I'm able just to scan it and I can see what happens to my blood sugar. Now, I can eat the same number of calories and I can show it to you. You can see my graph there roughly. It's got a few <laughs> yes, ups very, and downs. Yeah, yeah. And if I'm eating you know, sugar, I'm going to have a massive spike and that's going to release the insulin. The insulin's going to turn it into fat. 
if I have a steak, I'm not going to have a massive sugar spike. It's going to be flat. So it's the same number of calories, but hormonally, it's a huge amount of difference in the way my body processes it. And, I, and I'd love to talk about that next time, if you wish, because that I think sounds it is really good. Yeah, definitely. the next debate needs to be had on the calorie in, calorie out argument. Yes, that's great. Well, that sent my head completely spinning. I'm going to have to process all that. It's really interesting. Thank you ever so much for that, Dan. And a very happy birthday to you. Thank you very much. And I'll I'll think about you when I'm eating my steak later. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks. Bye.